Welcome to the Westminster Chapel podcast. For more information and to support our mission to London and beyond, please visit westminsterchapel.org.uk. Well, welcome to Westminster Chapel. Thanks for joining us. Can I extend my welcome? I'm Andy, one of the elders here. Uh, it's fab to see a great crowd of people gathering uh, for today. Can I ask you a question? Um, do you have one of those cupboards in your house that's full of unwanted items that you don't quite know what to do with? Is it a cupboard or a drawer in your kitchen, perhaps, or maybe a box under your bed? But it's the, it's the space where you shove everything that you don't know what to do with, uh, but you know that you can't get rid of it. Maybe it's something that you've got from a relative that you didn't really want, but you can't pass it on for fear that they will discover, or it's, a, I don't know, something that you've broken and you tried to mend, but didn't quite manage it, so you've shoved it in there and you're sort of planning to get to it another day, but not quite now. Maybe it's, you've just got unfinished business that you're thinking, okay, I'll get round to that at some point, but it's going in the cupboard for now. Well, I think we've all got one of those in our house physically, but I think actually we've all got one of those cupboards for the unwanted things Uh, for life stuff. Uh, It's sort of an imaginary thing, but it's full of real things, life things. Life situations where something has broken in your life, you've tried to fix it, you've tried to mend it, but you never managed to, so you've shoved it away in the cupboard a little bit. Or it's one of those ideas that you would have liked to have got round to at some point. It may be an unfinished project in your mind, something that you wanted to tackle, In yourself, perhaps, but you haven't, so you've put it into the cupboard. Maybe it's something you've inherited from family that really doesn't do you much good, and you don't know what to do with it. So again, you've put it in the cupboard. Well, I think that over the last two years, this cupboard, for all of us, has got even more full than ever before, because we've had a horrific couple of years where all sorts of things have gone into that cupboard of unwanted things. And we're not quite sure what to do with this stuff. Well, in today's service, I am going to ask you... So I hate crowd participation, just to, just to put it out there. because It's awful. Magicians who talk to people and comedians who interact is awful. But it's lucky that you're not a crowd and I'm not a performer, but we're a family. So we are going to do something together today. Um, and it's going to be a different service to normal. So anyone who's joined us, this is not what to expect going forwards. It's just today, and it's Sarah Sivia's fault. She's just here. She's going to be on stage a bit later, so throw things at her then. But she had the fantastic idea that many of us have faced stuff over the last couple of years, all sorts of unwanted things that we, we don't know what to do with. And why not as well as remembering and lamenting the loss of great people who've served on our behalf in the armed services, why not also take a moment, make space to lament our own grievances and our own losses in church? Why not take a moment, make a space to do that as a church family together? So we're going to be doing that. This should be a much shorter talk than normal because it's going to be interactive. Um, you're, I'm not going to talk to you, don't worry. You're just going to do something yourself. 
Um, and then at the end of this service, we're hopefully going to have an extended time where we're just believing that God is going to be ministering to us in hopefully a very close and personal way into our situation. So I'm going to only ask you to do one thing, is take one item out of that cupboard and hold on to it in your mind, think about it, and we will pray about it as well. So it's just one thing. We're not claiming that we're going to solve everything today, but I think this would be a good start. So we're going to lament. What is lamenting? Well, there's no clear definition, but it's sort of a grieving or addressing, vocalizing, praying about painful stuff in your life that maybe you would prefer not to think about, and maybe you were hoping not to think about it Sunday morning. You were hoping for a joyous time. Well, tough luck. Um, the thing is, in our culture, many or a part of our culture, many of us, including me definitely, don't really know how to lament. There's no lessons on it. Uh, we try and avoid it. We try and get as far away from misery as we possibly can. But the Bible is full of lament, absolutely chock-a-block full of laments in different, about different things. And that's because in the Bible's wisdom, we're taught that lamenting is part of a healthy life. In a messed up world like the one we live in, lamenting is a very healthy activity to be able to do properly, rather than just shoving stuff in the cupboard, shoving the door closed and hoping it won't ever spring open. Lamenting is the way to deal with this stuff. And the Psalms are the best place, I think, to start to learn how to do this, because the Psalms are full of various different versions of laments, how to grieve, how to vocalize this stuff, how to work through it. So we're going to be just looking at one psalm, Psalm 77. I'll read through it in bits and comment, and then um, we'll hear from Sarah and from Mike, and then we'll spend some time doing something together. Let me pray just before I read this. Father, thank you that you've given us your word. It's profound. And it's the greatest classroom that we could ever enter into. Thank you that it's very real and very down to earth. You know us inside out. You know the words that we need to read. So Lord, I'm believing in your sovereignty today that this is what all of us need to hear. And so help us to have the ears to hear it. And also the spirit to eagerly respond in the right way, the way that you're leading us. Lord Jesus, thank you that you are right next to all of us. Some of this might be painful, but thank you that you're not distant or far away. You are here. So we pray minister to our souls today, to our hearts, our minds, our emotions, and everything else. Amen. So Psalm 77 starts like this, and I think this is teaching us how to answer the question that no one can answer, how are you? How are you really? The psalmist says, I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and he will hear me. I sought the Lord in my day of trouble. My hands were continually lifted up all night long. I refused to be comforted. I think of God, I groan. I meditate, my spirit becomes weak. My first brief observation about this psalmist is he doesn't say, hey, I shouldn't complain. I'm sure lots of people have it worse than me. It's my most hated comment. It's such a cliche. Hey, uh, yeah, it's been a tough year, but many have had it harder, so I shouldn't complain. But logically, that makes no sense. I 
filmed a documentary about two guys. One of them had lost a leg in a, a bomb accident in Afghanistan, a soldier. Now, imagine if I'd said to him after this documentary and hearing his story, hey, mate, you really shouldn't complain because the other guy I'm filming lost two legs in a bomb. It would be ridiculous, wouldn't it? The logic of, hey, someone else has got it worse, so I shouldn't complain, is just the classic way of avoiding dealing with what's actually troubling you, dealing with your own grief. It's the classic way of avoiding it and coming up with a cliche to not need to deal with reality. Well, try not to use that because the psalmists don't. The psalmists absolutely vent how they're feeling. And maybe someone next door was going through something worse. Who knows? But they are expressing what they're feeling in the moment. So there is raw emotion here. Can you describe your pain? Verse 3, when I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. This psalmist is not putting on a brave face, not coming up with any quaint theological explanation for everything. Hey, God breaks us down so he can build us up again. I know that, so it doesn't matter. No, no, no. He's just facing it. He's saying, right now, doing the right thing really hurts. Coming to church is so difficult. Getting along to life group is agony. Trying to pray feels like I'm just bouncing a ball off a brick wall. This feels impossible for me. The psalmist is just saying, expressing their raw pain, unadulterated, and just saying it as it is. Are you able to do that? Can you pray like this? Can you describe the emotions that are going on inside? Can you actually express them in some sort of descriptive language? Maybe not as brilliantly poetic as this, but in your own language. Can you describe it? And then this next comment, you have kept me from closing my eyes. I am troubled and cannot speak. If we go to that next slide, can you describe your pain to God? That's the big thing. Can you describe your pain directly to God? It's a fantastic way of describing. In one translation, as you can see in the ESV, it's actually the idea, you, God, hold my eyelids open. I cannot sleep because you are doing this. It's almost accusing God. This is almost accusing God, and it reminds me of when Jesus, um, the story of Jesus when he's lost his friend Lazarus. Lazarus has died, and Jesus turns up in the village, and Mary and Martha, who are Lazarus's sisters, come to Jesus, and instead of going, oh, thank you for coming, it's brilliant, they come to him with pointed fingers and say, if you had been here, he wouldn't have died. And how does Jesus respond to them in that moment? He doesn't say, how dare you speak to the Son of God like that? How dare you point your fingers at me? With one, he simply weeps, he cries with her. With the other, he gives her incredible reassurance of the resurrection. I found a really helpful comment, Tim Keller talking about the Psalms. He took the quote from a commentator called Derek Kidner. It's just this, God knows how we speak when we are desperate. God knows how you and I speak when we are desperate. And he wants us to speak like this. That's why he's kept it in his Bible. This kind of language, you are the one holding my eyelids open. I cannot sleep because of you. That level of raw honesty directly to God 
that the Psalms are teaching us to use. And then carry on reading. I consider days of old, years long past, and at night I remember my music, I meditate in my heart, and my spirit ponders. And then look at the questions that his spirit ponders. Can you ask questions like this? Will the Lord reject forever and never again show favor? Has his faithful love ceased forever? Is his promise at an end for all generations? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger withheld his compassion? All I say is this. If you're keeping your questions deep down here, you don't want to say them because it sounds like you're a dodgy Christian or, hey, I shouldn't have doubts like this. I shouldn't be asking these questions. You will just get spiritual indigestion if you're keeping your questions down here. Open your mouth and ask them. We're going to have a moment in a few minutes where you can write down questions on that piece of paper that was on your chair, where you can actually write out your pain in some sense. Don't worry, people shouldn't be looking over your shoulder when you do it. Um, so how are you really? How are you really? Um, can we have the next slide? Because there's this phrase that gets bandied around nowadays. Did you know, I think this originated with Michael Griffiths on the fifth season of Love Island. Hey, it is what it is. It's the catch-all way of avoiding reality. Hey, it is what it is. What an annoying statement. Instead of that, and this is it's interesting, different translations, but I think, personally, I think the more accurate translations in verse 10 go down this line. I am sickened by the thought that the Most High might have become inactive. As Christians, we don't believe in fate. It is what it is. Things just happen. Hey, I can't do anything about it. No, we believe that something's gone wrong. Something truly has gone wrong. If people are suffering, if there's agony, if there's pain, even yours, something is wrong in this world. And the Bible is the best resource to address that and think about it. But we need to say it in our hearts because God has promised that his kingdom will come, his glory will fill the earth, and he will make all things new. So if that is not the lived experience, there is something wrong and we should be, event we should be describing it, praying about it, expressing it. Because it is a sign that you want to see God's kingdom come. And you're not happy with, hey, it is what it is. That's just reality. No, it shouldn't be reality. So say it as it is. Don't say it is what it is. So we don't believe in fate. We believe that God is working and is moving, and we need to address that reality, and we need to face it in order to start working through the stuff that we're facing. So Sarah, would you mind sharing with us your story? Sarah, it was her idea, like I said, so here she is. Get the tomatoes. Um, Sarah's just so... I'm so grateful for how she emailed me months and months ago about this idea and then shared her own story with me. And I just, it's so powerful. So uh, please do. Okay. Okay. Hello, everyone. So I'm going to be sharing with you this morning a bit of my story. So in 2017, I became very depressed through circumstances of life. But I didn't realize that that was what was happening. I thought I was just feeling sad because I didn't like the things that were going on at the time. I got used to crying most days and even sobbing. 
and didn't realise I was really becoming unwell. This period of depression went on for about three years and it was only about a year ago when I laughed at something that I thought, I think I'm actually getting better. Now, when I say laughed, I mean actually laughed. Not the laughter to just join in with everyone else, but that joyful, wonderful feeling when you really find something funny. It's something that I'm praying about at the moment, that I experience that more and more and learn to really laugh again. When I started university in 2018, it began my journey of getting better. During Freshers' Week, one of the other students had a picture from God for me. This is what he said. So it's quite emotional for me. He saw me as a beautiful parrot full of colour and life sitting on a branch. And he felt God say, I've made you vivid and colourful and full of life. You're sitting on a branch and watching. Let your vibrance show you were meant to shine bright. I recognised that person. That was the person I once was and I had become a shadow of that person. I'm in a much better place today than I was when given that word. And I'm hopeful that I'll be fully restored to one who shines bright. Now, I'm mindful that there are many people here today who may feel in the same position. There have been things that have happened in your life. Perhaps you're going through really tough times at the moment and you've never been truly honest with God and worked through the process of lament. You feel you are not the person you once were. Perhaps this time through COVID has changed you. This can be manifested in many ways. You may feel you have lost confidence, that somehow you're not coping as well as you once did, that not being able to mix with people, you feel you've lost the ability to socialise, or even that every time you go out of the house, it's a big step. You may feel that you're perhaps you're more nervous and anxious, and perhaps you've even experienced the death of someone close to you, a family member, a friend or colleague, and you weren't able to grieve properly. You still haven't fully processed their loss. This morning, we wish to give opportunity to be honest with God and express a lament. I will now pray. Oh, Father, thank you that you are our Father. And we just can just kneel before you and be completely honest with you. We can tell you how we feel because you are the God who can change things. You are the God who can bring hope into the darkest situation. You say that if we walk through a valley, you will be with us. You will never leave us or forsake us. You are the God who brings restoration and deliverance. You say you will bind up the brokenhearted and give liberty to the captives. Mm. We look to you for that restoration. May there be restoration this morning. May there be beginning of people being completely delivered and set free.
We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for sharing. So now we're going to lead into the activity. Uh, so grab your pens and your paper. Because we don't just want to talk about this today. We do want to give space, make time to start. And again, we're not overclaiming because we're going to move on to how long should we lament for these kinds of questions. And there's no absolute uh, answer, but we don't believe we're going to tie it up with a red ribbon today. We need to go forwards. We're going to, we're going to continue. But take one item and just as we pause, we'll have over five minutes. There'll be a little video just with a bit of music. We'd encourage you, just pray and ask God, what one item should I take out of that cupboard? And write it down, describe it. Describe it in your words. Write down the questions that honestly come to mind as you think about this. Describe how you're truly feeling on the inside. And as Sarah just demonstrated there, it's fantastic. I I heard Mike Pilavachi say last week, if you can't bleed in a hospital, where can you bleed? If you can't cry in a church... Where can you cry? I thought that's so powerful. So take a moment now as we play this video in the background just to write out something for yourself, something that God wants you to pray about. Pain, faith, 
Mike, if you wouldn't mind sharing now, you're part of your story. And this is linked in with the idea of how long should we grieve for? How long do you keep hold of that piece of paper that you've just written on? Hello, everybody. Uh, I'm Mike, and uh, just wanted you know two or three minutes just to share with you the journey that I'm on at the moment because it's not over yet. Um, so uh, my father, first of all, passed away last April, on the 5th of April, uh, 2020. And he was 93 years old. He, his body was beginning to wear out. And uh, the lockdown had just started, but actually he was at home. And uh, he died one evening uh, at, I think, a blood vessel burst or something. Not quite sure. But I was so pleased that he was at home. He hadn't been rushed into hospital where we wouldn't have been able to see him. And 
I cried like a baby the next day uh, at that time. And it's funny, I thought that grief would just come and that would be it. <laughs> but that's not how it happens. And following my father's death, my mother, she had a few faults. Up until the time that my father died, she seemed to be able to look after dad superbly. I mean, we hardly got involved with them at all in terms of looking after them. But then mum had a couple of falls and suddenly it seemed that she wasn't able to do anything. She could hardly move around the house with a frame. And my sister and I then had the next 18 months of looking after mum, which was a real privilege. If anyone's in that situation today, I just say it's a real privilege to be able to look after your parents as they reach the end of their life. And we had some great times. I used to go around every morning and bring mum up a cup of tea. Uh, we used to sit on the bed and look out over the garden and make each other laugh. And uh, I look back now and I see that's why grief is so important to us, because it, it's, it's really a celebration of those moments that you had and have lost in, in some <laughs> bizarre way. Uh, and so mum had, she had a stroke um, 26th of September this year, five, six weeks ago. Um, she uh, went straight on to the palliative care ward. The doctors knew that she wouldn't last very long. They didn't know how much, but we actually had three weeks, my sister and I, visiting every day. Uh, again, we were able to visit. Thank you, Lord, for that, that blessing. And again, we had times singing psalms and songs with mum, who tried to sing a song but couldn't. And, um, and finally, she died uh, two or three weeks ago now. And what I realised was that, as I said before, the process doesn't get... It doesn't just last a moment and then you move on. And I don't know whether you've been in this situation, but even now I find myself talking and um, suddenly grief sort of overtakes you. And you know when your voice goes a bit wobbly? <laughs> and it goes a bit... I like to try and suppress it, but it's important to us. And the question is, how long is, it, how long is the journey? How long is the journey? I don't know. I'm still on that journey now. But it, in, in a funny sort of way, it's a journey that we need to go through, and it's a good journey. Mm. Thank you. <laughs> how, long should, how long should we grieve for? You can do what you like with this bits of, these bits of paper, but um, the intention was... Uh, Sometimes we do this activity with sin. You write your sin down on a bit of paper and you throw it in the bin as an absolute. God has declared me righteous. He's forgiven me. This can go in the bin. Um, but with this, it's different because who knows? Who knows how long this will go on for? But Jesus does say this. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Now, just consider what he doesn't say there because I grew up thinking... The best thing is to get over things as quickly as possible. So the best person is the person who can put on a steely face and essentially pretend that all things are okay. Um, 
But the reality with that, I've discovered, is, well, we've got a newborn baby who is just learning to self-soothe by putting her thumb in her mouth and calming herself down. And adults are no better. Adults self-soothe with uh, food, with exercise, with TV, alcohol, porn, whatever it might be. Adults are no better than a newborn baby sucking their thumb. We self-soothe because we've put something in the cupboard and we're refusing to deal with it. Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. There's no deadline there, no promise of the exact amount of time or the number of um, uh, the amount of mourning you have to do. But it does seem like a prerequisite that you need to mourn this stuff because real comfort co- comes to those who really mourn and who really address their pain. So what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do? You've opened this thing, you've considered it, you've brought it to God, and that's a well done. That's the first step. I'd encourage you not to put it back in the cupboard, but to consider how you're going to move forward. Maybe in your own time in prayer today, later. But we've also got a talk to me at westminsterchapel.org.uk email address that is connected to our pastoral care team where we are more than willing to sit, listen, and pray with you. Um, no matter what the situation is, no matter what you're facing. Life groups are fantastic places uh, to open up and be honest with the people in your life group. So that was very quick, whoever put that slide up. Well done. (laughs) But I'm learning this pastorally, just caring for others. Uh, I'm very acquainted with this bit of advice at the moment on the NHS guidelines for children with a fever. Do not undress your child or sponge them down to try and cool them down quickly a high temperature is a natural and healthy response to infection. If someone comes to you with a grief, please don't try and downplay it or calm them down too quickly. But because lament, maybe, is a natural and healthy response to loss. And it's a necessary part of them experiencing true healing and true comfort. But what can we do then? What can we do? in the midst of all of this, and I think this is important, this is very important that we don't say, uh, hey, just hold your hands up and there's there's nothing that we can do now proactively or positively uh, continuing to go through while we're still dealing with all this stuff. What can we do? Well, the latter half of this psalm is interesting, Um, and you can read it in your own time, but essentially what happens is verse 11 is a transition moment in the psalm, And then it goes into, I will remember the Lord's works. Let's read, actually. I can see it on there. I didn't have it on my screen. I will remember the Lord's works. Yes, I will remember your ancient wonders. But just think about what what this psalmist is remembering. Is it anything within their living history? I will reflect on all you've done and meditate on your actions. God, your way is holy. What God is great like God? You are the God who works wonders. You revealed your strength among the peoples. With power, you redeemed your people, the descendants of Jacob and Joseph. The water saw you, God. The water saw you. It trembled. Even the depths shook. The clouds poured down water. The storm clouds thundered. Your arrows flashed back and forth. The sound of your thunder was in the whirlwind. Lightning lit up the world. The earth shook and quaked. Your way went through the sea and your path through the vast water, but your footprints were unseen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. What's he describing? 
Is there anything within his living memory? Anything in his lifetime? No, it's the Exodus story. It's the thing that happened many, many hundreds of years ago. He's recalling that. And the idea, the simple idea that I got from this is, if God hasn't done anything yet, it doesn't mean that God hasn't done anything yet. If that next slide could go up. If God hasn't done, sorry, keep going. I've messed up my order. Just because God hasn't done anything yet, it doesn't mean that God hasn't done anything yet. We might look back in our own living memory and there's all sorts of turmoil and unresolved things, but to give us greater strength, we can look to about 2,000 years to see what God has done in history, a greater Exodus story. The Son of God on the cross, dying in your place, that you might be right with God, yes, so now you can enjoy that reality, but it might not feel great. But also at the cross and the resurrection of Jesus, he made a way into the new creation where God will resolve all issues. Hey, in our modern day, there's a lot about self-therapy and everything else, which is brilliant, helping you to resolve various issues. But if the world is not getting better, and with all the COP26 stuff, which is fantastic and needed, but if God is not making a new world that human beings will inhabit, where there is no sin, sickness, or death, then ultimately, what's the hope? But here, as we recall the cross and what Jesus did there, we know that there is hope for the future. And these are the kinds of things that we can continue to do. In the middle of grief, we can still anchor ourselves to that moment 2,000 years ago, what Jesus did for us. Sarah already mentioned that Psalm 23, in the valley of the shadow of death, God prepares a meal for us. That's the idea in Psalm 23. In the worst moments, God is with us. He's not waiting for us to get out of it. He's not standing on the mountaintop saying, hey, come up here. No, he's with us in the valley of the shadow of death, and he prepares a meal for us to eat with him. That's communion. So we're going to take communion now. So if there's, uh, there should be little cups around you. So grab a cup, share them around, because we're going to take this together as the ultimate way of remembering where we are, what our situation is, what our hope is. So do share these around. That would be fantastic. There's a few over there and at the back. And usually, thank you. Usually we would do this as a collective activity. I think that's normally the right thing to do. But in this moment, because we have individually brought these prayers to God, I think it's worth you doing this in your own time. The band are going to play a bit in the background. And then for the next half an hour or so, we're just going to be asking God to move amongst us with prophetic words, encouragements, and all that kind of thing. So take communion in your own time. And then when the band start playing the first worship song, do join in uh, as you feel led. But let's just pray, and then you can take communion. Have that meal with God that he has prepared for you. Jesus' death on the cross, his blood poured out for you, his body broken all for you that you might experience hope in the midst of grief in this messed up world. Father, thank you. 
that you are the that your son is this shepherd who led Moses and Aaron through the Red Sea. He's the shepherd who laid down his life for the sheep. He's the one who cares for us individually. He walks round the flock of sheep and picks out the nits and touches us on the back occasionally and just checks we're okay and helps us. Even if we've fallen in a deep valley, he's the one who will climb down to pick us up and bring us back. What a shepherd you are, Jesus. Thank you for your great love. Now minister to us. Continue, please, by the Holy Spirit. Let us experience your tender, loving care amongst us as we take communion, as we eat this meal that you've prepared for us, and then as we respond in worship and consider all that you've done. Lord, help us to grieve well. Help us to be people who lament and bring these things before you. And thank you that you promise to those who mourn, they will experience comfort. I pray for comfort in this room today. In Jesus' name, amen. audio from Westminster Chapel. If you'd like to partner with us in making disciples and sharing the gospel, please consider making a one-off or regular donation. Visit westminsterchapel.org.uk forward slash giving to find out how.